Hello, welcome to the Machete and Quill podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hoyt. I'm the author of the fantasy novel, Gemma Calvertson and the Forest of Despair, which I will read in its entirety, one or two chapters per episode on this podcast. This episode will cover chapter 33, where our gang finally arrives in the fallen kingdom of Emerson. If you're joining us for the first time, you'll want to go back to episode one and listen in order. We'll be here waiting for you when you're caught up. And I'm so grateful that you've joined us on this journey. If you would like to read ahead and support my creative endeavors, please consider buying Gemma Covertson and the Forest of Despair as an ebook, paperback, or hardcover, wherever books are sold. Or you can grab the ebook on Kindle Unlimited if you subscribe to that. Signed copies of the books are available on my website, ryanhoytauthor.com. If you enjoy the character Nalia, please also consider buying the novella, The Witch of Ferrothon, which dives deeper into her past and how she fell into this deal to protect the small village. I'm excited to announce the sequel to The Forest of Despair is completed and off to the editor. As I record this, the cover art is about 90% finished and I'm so happy with it. I'll release The Isle of Abandonment in July of 2023. Please visit my website, ryanhoytauthor.com and find out how you can pre-order the book if you're interested. Now let's get into the episode and read chapter 33 of Gemma Calvertson and the Forest of Despair. Keep in mind that I'm narrating the book for the podcast, but this is not as clean as a professional paid audiobook. I hope that you'll still enjoy the story. Stay tuned after the chapter for a behind the scenes look at the story and thank you for listening. Gemma Calvertson and the Forest of Despair, book one of the Epistel Chronicles by Ryan Hoyt, chapter 33. In a lush patch of land at the intersection of the Amasa River, a feeder stream, and the Amasa Lake, Gemma got her first glimpse of King Harold's Keep. It was the castle that housed the man who had once ruled fairly and lovingly over the thriving kingdom north of Epistel. The castle of a king who had once employed Richard's father as an advisor, a castle he had willingly surrendered to foreign invaders after a dark period of obsession and paranoia. The journey from Farathon Manor to the edge of the Great Northern River had been a surprisingly pleasant one. They had avoided entering the dark forest on their left as they headed up around the massive lake. Near the water, there were plenty of smaller animals and edible plants, wild herbs, vegetables, and berries once they were outside of the still-enchanted region of Farathon. Will the Witchkeeper promise and free Farathon from her spell? Denny had asked the previous evening as the group sat around what would be their last fire before they got too close to King Harold's Keep. I sure hope so, or else she'll have to deal with us when we come back through here on our way home, Arnhem said. They all looked at him, surprised by his bold statement, and laughed. She'll keep her word, Richard said. The fairy tales that are told in Epistel aren't all that truthful in their depictions of witches and warlocks. They truly do stick to their promises. It's the people who request favors from them who often don't fully think through what they're doing. That's the case in Farathon. That's the case with King Harold and the Sakabaya. Nalia Lunara has her own code of ethics, and she will act accordingly. Gemma sat and wrote as she listened. When she had set out on her assignment from Capital City, she had intended to write about the past, the great events of recent history. Now she wasn't so sure she could write about such things neutrally, as she was living in an adventure of her own. So, while she continued to take notes about things Richard and Arnhem revealed about the great journey and the history of the Northern Lands, she also meticulously detailed the events of the last few weeks, 
She didn't know what the outcome would be. She only knew that it was important to document the situation she was in with her extraordinary companions. As everyone else drifted off to sleep, Gemma wrote deep into the night until there was no light remaining from the fire. The next afternoon, when they made it to the overlook in the Riverlands, they spotted a small abandoned fishing village. Perhaps village was too generous a word. There were a few rotting shacks, a boathouse, and the skeletal remains of a dock that had once held the boats of local fishermen, travelers from the villages around King Harold's Keep, and folks from Farathon who crossed the Amasa Lake and made their way up along the feeder stream. I believe my father used to land here when he traveled south from Emerson and down into Epistel, Richard said. He called it Frogstown. I don't know if it even had a real name. Denny and I will search the buildings for supplies, Gemma said. You two check the boathouse for a vessel we can use to cross the river. We should go at nightfall. She saw a slightly stunned look pass over Richard's face, but it was quickly replaced by a half-smile of respect. Aye, Arnhem said. Richard nodded in agreement. The men made their way down to the structure by the dock. As Gemma led Denny toward the other decaying buildings, she turned to her young companion. You're quiet, Denny, she observed. More than usual, I mean. What did you dream about? Denny looked at her with a worried expression. He shook his head, refusing to answer. Gemma stopped in front of him. Denny, please, if we're walking to our deaths, if we're making the wrong choices, you need to tell us. It's not that I don't want to. It's just not clear. I saw... Denny pointed across the river to the castle in the distance. Them. The people in that castle. They were surrounding us, but I don't know if it was a bad thing. I didn't feel dread in the dream. It felt like it was meant to be. I do think things will work out for us, Gemma, but it won't be easy, and it won't be pleasant. Then I'm glad we're in this together, Gemma said as she reached out and patted Denny on the shoulder. They continued toward what must have once been a few small houses and shops. The door of the first shop was in poor shape, and not just from inclement weather over the years. It had been forced open at some point with some sort of heavy object or battering ram. Inside, a large piece of furniture that had been used to block the door from the inside had been knocked over during the forced entry. The skeletal remains of several people were sprawled around the room. Gemma turned, wanting to cover Denny's eyes, but it was too late. I've seen worse things in my visions, Gemma, he said. The Sakabaya must have done this. Everything inside was destroyed. There was nothing of use to them there. They went on to the next shop and the next, all equally ransacked, all filled with nothing but death and decay. Gemma hoped Richard and Arnhem were having better luck in the boathouse. She led Denny out of the last building and across to the waterfront. They found something, Denny shouted with excitement. On the remaining stretch of dock, Richard was pulling a rope attached to the front of a small rowboat. Arnhem was sitting in the boat, using a pair of oars to propel it toward the dock. Richard tied the boat to a post as Denny and Gemma approached. It'll be a tough fit, but I think it should hold all of us, Arnhem said. He was breathing heavily from the short time he had spent rowing. He realized everyone was staring at him and laughed. Of course, I'm out of shape, so if anyone else wants to volunteer to row this thing, we may move more quickly. It'll be a little tough to get across the other side of the river, Richard said. The water flows west more rapidly than I expected, and it's a lot wider than the River of Giants back home. The flow may take us a couple of miles downriver. 
It won't be a bad thing, though, landing a bit farther from the castle. There will be fewer guards that way, and we'll have the cover of darkness. Gemma looked at Denny, wondering if they'd be taken by the Sakabaya when they landed. She wouldn't have to wait long to find out. Nightfall was coming, and then they would make their way into the fallen kingdom of Emerson. As Richard expected, they landed on the opposite bank of the river about two miles due west of King Harold's Keep. They could have come ashore a little closer, but that night's full moon eliminated much of the darkness they had hoped to use as cover. They pulled the boat up onto the rocky shore. There were wildly overgrown shrubs nearby, so they tucked the boat under them as best they could. If it wasn't so rocky, I'd say we should stay by the river as we make our way east, Richard said. But as rough as this is, we'll have a broken ankle or two before we make it there. Let's go up by the road and keep our ears peeled for any approaching riders. We'll dive into the bushes if needed. Have your weapons accessible as well, Gemma added. She repositioned the machete on her belt so that it was within easy reach. She looked over at Denny and smiled as she watched him pull out his dirk. He was a bit too scrawny for the swords in Farathon Manor's armory, and the oversized dagger had seemed like the best option. He had been a bit embarrassed at first, but now he wielded it proudly. Richard carried a great sword that matched his own large size, while Arnhem brandished a single-handed sword that, in truth, didn't make Denny's look all that small. Gemma had grown attached to the machete that had been used to threaten her, then to kill the creature that had murdered Walker and nearly crushed the life out of Richard. Now, she wondered if she would have to use it against any of the Sakabaya. It seemed very likely. A wind began to pick up, and low clouds moved in. Before long, the moon was blessedly covered, and they had the protection of darkness. Soon after, they spied the castle and moved back down to the uneven ground along the edge of the river. Up ahead were the castle's docks, though no boats were tied up there, and no guards appeared to be patrolling them. When I was a child, I used to sneak out of my family's apartment on the castle grounds and slip through a drainage system that led out in between the nearest two docks, Richard whispered. If we can make it over there, we may find the entrance still accessible. And what do we do when we get inside the castle? Arnhem asked. We must get to King Harold, assuming he is still alive. Those are his banners still flying. Richard pointed up at one of the towers, where a banner sporting a sigil of a castle on a river flapped in the midnight wind. He must be pushing 85 or 90 years old by now. Kept alive by dark magic, no doubt, Denny said. The river widened a great deal near the castle and formed a lagoon directly in front of the docks. The current didn't seem as strong there, and Richard hoped that was actually the case, as they were about to hop in. He tucked his pack under a shrub, and the others did the same. Are you all ready? Richard asked. To go in the water? Denny asked. But... I can't swim. I can't go in there. We'll help you, Arnhem reassured him. The important thing is to stay calm. Keep your arms and legs moving to stay afloat. You can hold on to me, Denny, Richard said. We'll take care of you. Denny nodded, but it was clear to Gemma that he was still terrified. She gave him an understanding smile and stepped into the water, then jumped right back out from the shock of how cold it was. Everyone laughed but they were just as taken aback by the frigid river once they made their way in. When they had swum about halfway to where the docks jutted out from the castle walls, they spotted a guard carrying a lantern. 
The man paced out to the end of one of the empty docks and sat down on the edge. He lit a pipe and smoked. Gemma and her companions held as still as they could, lightly waving their arms and cycling their legs to stay afloat, but they were losing ground against the current, even with how calm it was right there. Then, from up on the wall, they heard a shout. Not sitting down while on patrol again, are you, Gressel? The guard on the wall goaded. The smoking guard, Gressel, stood up, turned to his shift mate up on the wall, and made an obscene gesture. Then he pouted his way back up the dock and through the castle's gate. The guard up top disappeared as well. Gemma turned to Denny, who was shivering in the water next to her, and turning pale. Okay, let's get over there quickly, Gemma said. She put one arm around Denny to get him started and began to paddle toward the docks. At one point, she turned to check on Denny. Instead of being white from fear, he had blushed red, apparently flattered by Gemma's touch. She turned forward again and gave a silent laugh, then removed her arm and increased her distance from him slightly. I think you've got this, Denny. They were within 10 feet of the dock when they heard the sound of a boat approaching, several paddles dipping in and out of the water in unison. Gemma looked over at Richard in panic. He pointed under the docks, then took a deep breath and put his head under the water as he swam. Arnhem followed suit. No, no, I can't, Denny whispered. Gemma reached back and took his hand. She gave him a reassuring smile and counted down from three with her hand. On one, she took a breath and ducked under the water, pulling Denny with her. He flailed at first, but then calmed and followed Gemma's lead. They made it under the dock, but Gemma ascended into a mess of spiderwebs. She wanted to scream. She was almost certain she felt something crawling on the back of her neck, but she caught sight of Arnhem's alarmed face and kept quiet. From above, they could hear one of the sailors jumping off the boat and onto the dock, where he tied the boat up. Five others got out of the boat as well and began making their way down the dock toward the castle. They were right above Gemma and her friends when one of them stopped. He called out to the others in a foreign tongue Gemma did not recognize. She looked up to see the bottoms of his boots just inches above her head. Denny gasped. Gemma quickly turned to him. He wasn't looking up at the figures above them. He was looking at Gemma. And then she felt it. She violently shook her head, trying to throw off whatever was crawling in her hair. She took a breath and ducked underwater. When she came back up, she opened her eyes to see a black and white striped spider, nearly the size of her hand, floating off down the river. She looked up again to see that the sailor was making his way toward the castle to catch up with his peers. After they heard the gates slam shut, Richard led them to the drainage gate he had mentioned. Gemma thought it looked just big enough to fit Denny and her, but she didn't believe Richard and Arnhem would be able to squeeze through. Arnhem caught the look on her face and gave a knowing chuckle. Perhaps I should have skipped those last few meals, huh? He quipped quietly. Richard shot a worried glance back at him. Then he reached for the bars and tried to force the grate open. It didn't budge. Arnhem rose up next to him and added his strength. The metal let out a squeal as the grate scraped against the pipe, and then it opened on hinges. Richard and Arnhem moved to either side as they carefully lowered the heavy grate. Filthy, dark sludge began dripping out of the drainage pipe. It stank. No, Denny whined. Gemma didn't feel like she was in any position to console him this time. She agreed that crawling through that muck would be repulsive. And repulsive it was. They made their way through what felt like hundreds of feet of dark and slimy pipe. 
Perhaps the sliminess is what helped Richard and Arnim to fit, Gemma thought as she prayed they wouldn't get stuck somewhere along the way. On at least two occasions, her hands and knees slipped out from under her, and she went chin-first into the mess. Denny did the same, then turned and vomited. It just blended in with the rest of the filth. At another point, they heard a steady stream of liquid coming down from a smaller pipe that flowed into the main artery. When Gemma felt a tinge of warmth, she realized that they must be near the guards' latrines. They all moved as fast as they could, but the two larger men couldn't quite help their slow speed in that claustrophobe's hell. Finally, the pipe they were crawling through opened up into a larger pool. Off in one corner was a ladder built into the sewer system. Richard made his way over and began to climb. He motioned for them to wait below while he figured out if they would be able to exit. Richard made it to the top, where he slowly pushed up one side of a round manhole. He listened, then pushed it up more and peeked around. When he realized the coast was clear, Richard motioned for them to follow. They sent Denny up, then Gemma, and finally Arnhem. As glad as they were to be out of the mess, Gemma regretted it instantly. Surrounding the four of them were four guards and six rough-skinned creatures. They were caught. All right, that was chapter 33 of Gemma Calvertson and the Forest of Despair by me, Ryan Hoyt. It took us 32 chapters for our friends to make their way north to the fallen kingdom of Emerson, and now they've finally arrived. This is also the first chapter where these four characters are all a team together, now that Richard has been healed from the Witch of Farathon. It's hard to tell how good of a team they are, though, with how fast things fell apart for them. When they arrive at the castle, it appears to just be manned by a skeleton crew of two night watchmen before this boat docks there and some of the Sakabaya show up. I had fun riding the scene with our characters crawling through the human waste in the sewer below the castle. I had to put them through the ringer one last time before we get to what will be the final battle in the chapters to come. Alright, well, we'll keep it short this week because there is a lot more to come next week and beyond. If you want to read ahead, you can buy the book everywhere books are sold, including signed copies at ryanhoytauthor.com, or you can read it on Kindle Unlimited. Connect with me on social media, which you can find links to at ryanhoytauthor.com. The music in this podcast is from Before the World Moved On. Thank you so much for listening to the Machete and Quill podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hoyt. We'll continue our journey together through the forest of despair on the next episode. Take care until then. Thanks. Thanks.